I guess I always took that for granted because I grew up on a farm and I always knew where my food was coming from. And then I don't know when it dawned on me, but I realized that there's a lot of people out there that don't have that and they just don't have a single clue where their food comes from. And to me, I think that's really sad. Like, I think that's such a basic human need and to not even know where that human need that you need every single day of your life, three times a day, is coming from. I just think that's kind of heartbreaking. <laughs> Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Arlie LaRoche. She is the featured guest in episode one of season two of YXC Underground. It's a question Arlie LaRoche is very passionate about answering. Arlie and her family own and operate Farm 140, a holistically managed farm about 20 minutes southwest of Saskatoon. As Farm 140's website states, we are a local, sustainable and natural choice for Saskatoon's ethical eaters. What really stands out to me about Arlie is just how passionate she is in educating people, not only here in Saskatoon but across the province, about where their food comes from and how her animals are cared for. These are just a few of the themes we cover in this episode of YXE Underground. Welcome back to a new season of the podcast. There will not be a season two of YXE Underground if not for your support, so I sincerely thank you and I hope you had a great summer. My summer consisted of eating too much ice cream, a weekend in Regina for the Regina Folk Festival, and struggling to control my slice on the golf course. Now, I should explain where exactly I am. I'm sitting in Old La Restaurant on the market side uh, of the restaurant, and it is one of Saskatoon's newest restaurants. Uh, its primary owners are Arlie LaRoche and her husband, Brett, and, uh, and that's why I'm here. I, I would be sitting at the bar, but it's really packed, so I'm over here uh, on the market side because I, I, I couldn't find a seat, which is probably a good sign for the restaurant. Odla is a farm-to-table restaurant that serves the majority of its, of its meat directly from Farm 140, and it's a way for Arlie to educate people where that steak or pork loin came from. The farm-to-table concept is experiencing a renaissance in Saskatoon, and I would argue the province right now. Places like Odla, The Hollows, Hearth, Primal, The Odd Couple, all these restaurants proudly state that their food comes from local producers. It's a trend that Saskatoon freelance journalist Jen Sharp has written extensively about. Jen spent most of 2018 traveling across Saskatchewan, discovering small farms and producers and their relationships with new independent restaurants. Jenna and I met for a beer this summer and she explained why there is such a renewed interest in farm-to-table restaurants. I think people are getting really fired up and passionate about food in Saskatchewan and they want to reconnect to the land and to farmers and to all the awesome food we grow here. And it's been difficult up until lately to do that. There is a couple decades stretch where we really got away from our food with the rise of convenience foods, microwaves, fast food chains, all these kind of things which happened uh, approximately like baby boomer time, 50s, 60s. and. We got away from that farm-to-table eating and growing our own food and supporting farmers, which is arguably what all of our grandparents did. This is not a new trend, but now there's this reversal to get back to that and to learn more about it and to embrace a sense of place in Saskatchewan. Why do you think it's happening now? 
I think it's it's happening. It's happened in other parts of Canada and the world um, a decade, two decades before this. And Saskatchewan's always been a little bit slower to, to on the uptake with these things, and that's totally fine. That's just part of who we are. But now I think there's a lot of people in the public eye. There's a lot of chefs talking about it, more journalists, people in the media are embracing it. And there's more of a discussion about environmental concerns and how industrial farming may contribute to that, where you're getting your food from, all these kinds of discussions. So people are getting more passionate and wanting to learn more, which is awesome. One of the places Jen visited in researching her book was Farm 140. I had the pleasure of visiting the farm not once, but twice for this podcast. Now, if you are a subscriber to the podcast, first of all, thank you. Then you probably heard about my first attempt to interview Arlie out at her farm. Janelle Wallace, the podcast photographer, and I drove to Farm 140, and we're receiving a tour from Arlie of her farm when all of a sudden, the sky grew dark, the air got cold, and the wind picked up, like really picked up. Arlie stopped the interview and told us we had to find a safe place, which we did, but it kind of killed the momentum of the interview. A few weeks later, Janelle and I returned and the skies were clear for us. I really think you will love this interview as Arlie's intelligence and caring nature, as well as her passion to educate others, are easy to connect with. In this first part, we talk about how everything is connected on our farm and how much planning goes into managing a holistic farm. As we walked into a fenced off section full of sheep, I started by asking Arlie how she describes her farm. I usually use holistic management as the kind of catch-all term, and the reason I use that is because we just look at our farm as a, as a whole. It's not just a chicken farm. It's not just a pig farm. It's not just a grain farm. It's, it's everything all rolled into one, and so when we make a decision about one thing, we have to consider how is it going to affect X, Y, and Z. So including how is it going to affect the soil, how is it going to affect, you know, how, are, how is the way I manage the sheep going to affect my cows, or how is it going to affect my pigs, or how is it going to affect my, my grain farm, and, you know, looking for all those synergies between, between everything like that. I want to get to the synergies in a minute, but why, why did you choose to do it this way? You just, you just, <laughs> you just rolled your eyes a little bit. Why did I choose to do it this way? That is a tough question. Uh, because it just felt right. It just felt like the right thing to do. I don't know. That's a silly answer, but... No, it's not a silly answer, I, but... I just never considered doing it any other way. Ooh, why, why is that, though? Especially here in Saskatchewan. And, like, you know, I, I, I think of of the way my grandpa farmed, my uncle right. farmed, my cousin farms. Um, it's, it's in a what I would consider a traditional way, but this is different. I guess this is the original traditional yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess because I have seen the effects of the conventional model and I wasn't okay with it. And I wanted to do better. Okay, so tell me what you saw in the conventional model that made you think, ah, I'm not liking this. Well, I mean, on a, each, each enterprise has its own drawbacks in the conventional model but you know for for grain farming as an example you've got your pesticide and your herbicide runoff and your fertilizer runoff and you've got I mean to me that's mining the topsoil right you're just uh, 
taking everything that that soil can give you year after year and you're just putting back synthetic fertilizer which is not to me a fair trade <laughs> like if i'm gonna take something out of the soil in the form of a cereal grain or hay i want to put back organic matter kind of more fair trade and then to me that system is going to be sustainable that's going to keep giving back to me for years and years and years to come not not just for my farming career but for my kids farm hopefully farming career too <laughs> yeah um so we're right now we're in um i, I maybe you describe because you do a better job of describing it. where where are we right now because I want to get to the synergies. Okay, so right now we're in one of 12 of my paddocks here. So I've got my whole farm divided up into 12 paddocks. And at the beginning of the year I do a grazing plan and I decide exactly where I'm going to move my animals and when so that they do a good job of rotational grazing. And, and so right now we're in pasture number 12 <laughs> and we're looking at the sheep. And uh, they've been on this paddock for three days, and they're just about ready to move again. How big is a paddock? Oh, it's probably about three or four acres usually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So these sheep have been here for three or four days, and they're just eating. They're eating and pooping. Exactly. They're they're mowing the lawn, and they're fertilizing the grass. Okay. Yeah. So when you when you are planning out your year, I didn't know you, that you did it that way. Um, what, what is, what's the thought in terms of, like, how, how do you manage everything? What, how much thought goes into that? And, wh and what are you thinking of? Yeah, so there's a few things you really want to watch. Uh, the first one being that you don't want the animals to stay on a particular paddock for very long because that you want them to come in, you want them to eat all the grass and weeds equally, and then fertilize it all over the place and then get off of it and let it rest and regrow and so that accomplishes a few different things when they when they mow it all equally it sets back the grass as much as it sets back the weeds uh, as opposed to if you were to let them stay on that paddock for a long time they would keep coming back to their favorite grasses and over time they would actually kill them and then they don't like certain weeds and certain grasses so they would leave those alone and they would give those grasses and weeds the opportunity to take over. And so in this model, if they don't at least eat it, they'll stomp all over it and still set it back because of the, the small uh, area. They're focused in a small area, so just the, the mob grazing effect, I guess, causes them to eat. They're either going to eat it or trample it. And then the, the other key is that, so, so usually you don't want to let them stay on a cell for longer than about three or four days. I mean, the real hardcore graze, um, holistic grazers, they'll move their animals once a day, twice a day, if you really want to get crazy. Really? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's a balance, right? Because I've got a lot of, a lot of plates spinning. <laughs> so I have to do what works for me. And so three or four days works for me. Um, but... Uh, so yeah, you, you want to leave them not too long that they're going to come back to that grass again. And then the other really key there is that you want to let it rest for a minimum of about 21 days. Or, you know, more is better. But So they'll visit this pasture twice in a year. So they'll come here, they'll eat it off in the spring, they'll do their whole big round through all the other paddocks, and then they'll visit it again. And there's got to be a minimum of 21 days in between there for it to grow back Otherwise, I'll set it back. You're, you're, um, 
like I, 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 I'm thinking of my wife right now because she's such a great planner. She's a teacher and she's able to plan, you know, um, at six weeks, I want my students to be doing this and stuff. And when I was a teacher, it was literally like, oh my gosh, what am I doing tomorrow? Like that's, that was how far my planning is. Your planning must just be like incredible. There's a lot of different things happening at any given time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So when, when the sheep come off of this land and then this is going to rest for 21 days, um, there, there are you're shifting all the different animals too because it's not just sheep um the last time we were here uh we met pigs and we met chickens and i know you have cows as well like they're all moving then it's like a big game of musical chairs yes <laughs> the cows normally are with the sheep and they're just grazing along together with them so that's just one move the two Ooh, wh why are they together they're together because they eat different parts of the grass the cows will eat the taller part of the grass and the sheep like to graze closer to the ground and also the cows offer a little bit of predation protection to the sheep. They're a little bit more scary to a coyote than a, than a little lamb. So that's helpful too. And, and also just because it's easier, it's more efficient. It, I, there's no point in me moving my cows and, and sheep doing twice the work when they'll happily just graze together. Okay, so you bring up efficiency and that's one thing I wanted to ask because what what you're doing here is is a lot more work than than maybe the more conventional style. Can you, um, you know, for, for people who are listening who are maybe in the city who, who have an idea of what maybe like a, a cattle farmer goes through or something like that, can you just compare and contrast a little bit? Because I just want them to understand, like, the difference and, and, and the, the more work that you have to do. Right. Uh, I mean, I guess the pigs is a pretty good example. It's definitely, definitely more efficient to have your pigs in one barn on a concrete floor where they can't root out all the time and uh, just bring the food to the same place every day and have the water set up in the same place every day. And so if you contrast that with what these guys are doing, so these guys, A, I have to move the fence every every few days for them. And then along with that, I have to move the water and the food trough and uh, because it's all portable because it needs to be moved all the time my systems are probably not as strong and as well built as as if they were a permanent fixture right and so pigs they're very very intelligent and as a result if they're at all bored they can get very very destructive so they love to try and see if they can wreck stuff and so you know a lot of the times I spend just fixing fixing up my my pig infrastructure because they've messed it up or they've figured out a way around it or something and and they're very like I said they love to dig and so they'll come into a new paddock and they'll basically rototill it if I leave them in there for too long and and so if they if I've accidentally done that then I have to overseed it with some some seed to cover the ground because I always want the ground to be covered it like it's uh you know one thing that my mentor Gabe Brown always says is you want to keep the soil armored at all times like you never want to have your soil bare because that's the worst thing you can do for it it'll cause erosion and and all kinds of problems you'll invite weeds to come in so you always got to keep that soil covered with some kind of growing vegetation and so if I've screwed up and left them on there for too long then I got to fix my mistake yeah. um if memory serves like it, can we just sort yeah, of walk over this way yeah right um so when we were here last time, um, you introduced us to some pigs that were 
like these were these were very big pigs, yeah. like six hundred pounds. I think you said yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, when a six hundred pound pig um, gets a bit bored and decides to misbehave a little bit, as I avoid some uh, cow poop there, <laughs> um, when that happens, and then you've got to go and you know kind of fix things up, do you ever think to yourself like, oh, like th this? <laughs> This could be so, I could be doing this easier. Do you ever have those days? Oh, big time. Yes. Uh, on the regular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, especially with the pigs. They, I would say hands down, the pigs are the most labor intensive, frustrating uh, animal to take care of. And like I said, I think that is mostly attributed to the fact that they are very intelligent. So when you have those, oh, there they are there. Okay. Oh yes, so these. You can see yeah. they're they're on this new paddock now, which yeah. is all lush and green, and you can see the old paddock there. Yeah. And then you know this will be the new paddock. Okay. Once they've finished here, but you know, so when they're done in this paddock, I've got to pick up that fence and make it make a new one over there, and I've got to move their feeder and I've got to move their shade their shade mobile because pigs sunburn pretty easily, yeah. so you have to always give them shade and move their water and. That's the whole deal. As a redhead, I can I can uh, <laughs> understand with the sunburn. You are listening to episode one, season two of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson, and you are listening to an interview with Arlie LaRoche. If you would like to see pictures of Arlie, her farm, and her animals, you can find YXE Underground on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also see pictures on yxeunderground.com, and that's where you can find all the episodes of this local independent Saskatoon podcast. Subscribe to YXE Underground on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You can also stream it on Spotify and the website. The first time I met Arlie was in May. It was the opening of Odla and we struck up a conversation about her unique way of farming. What quickly became clear was that Arlie loves her animals and that became crystal clear when visiting Farm 140. Jen Sharp noticed it too. And I will say almost every farmer I know loves their animals and cares for them and Arlie's passion for her animals and her love and devotion to them is really wonderful. So I think when you think about that um, from a meat eater's perspective, and you know she is overseeing butchering or taking i think she takes her animals to a butcher she knows but it's one of respect for that animal and she's raising it with honor and respect and honoring the life that it's giving to then provide nutrition to us so seeing that passion she has for them is that makes me feel very good as a meat eater to support her and to buy her animals but here's the thing about loving your animals when you're a farmer at some point, the animals that you are caring for are killed and eventually served at local restaurants or processed and taken to grocery stores. As I just mentioned, Arlie truly loves her animals and probably spends more time with them than she does her two children. So when the time comes to say goodbye to her pigs, her cows, her chickens, her sheep, what is that day like? Well, it's not the best day. It's not my favorite day. Um, it's definitely, it's a sacrifice that, you know, humans collectively make if they choose to eat meat and I, I choose to eat meat. And so I make, make a conscious decision to do that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things that play into that. 
it's a very complicated relationship between a farmer and their animals because I'm with these guys all the time, every day. I don't see humans every day like a office worker would. I see these guys every day and I know them. I know them by looking at them. I know exactly, you know, this one was born three years ago to that mom and I can tell by looking at like my sheep don't all look the same to me. They look, they have their own personalities and some of them have names and you know I can identify them. You give them names. Well certain ones I don't I don't name all of them but I mean on a farm usually you have your breeding stock that you hold on to year after year and then you've got your your you know processing animals and so I would never name the processing animals but like there's certain sheep that I've had for six years and I know exactly who they are and you know the day that I take them to the processor is not going to be a nice day for me and uh yeah, I mean, it's something that I think is very important for humans to remember. And, and that's what I, I guess, part of my goal for trying to reconnect people to their food is, is that like when you, when you have that chicken for supper, or when you have that lamb chop for supper, like that was an animal. And, and you shouldn't forget that. And you shouldn't take it for granted. And you shouldn't eat so much meat, maybe. I mean, you know, obviously I'm a livestock farmer and I don't want to work myself out of a job, but I don't disagree with the concept of people should eat less meat because yeah i mean it, it it should be to me a special thing it's it is a sacrifice so I, I i wanted to ask you about that but you that's i find that so interesting what you just said because i think for a lot of people they think oh arlie wants to sell as much meat as she can but that's not the case no not at all i mean we my farm is called farm 140 because we have 140 acres here and I mean, we do have a bit of grain land, so it's not totally true that we have only 140 acres, but there's only so much animals that I can grow here without having to buy more land. And I don't necessarily want to grow bigger. I, I want to grow, this is why we opened Odla. It's uh, instead of just growing more sheep, more cows, more pigs, what about, you know, stacking things? Like that's why we have the bees and that's why we have so many different things, because I think there's a lot you can do on 140 acres and you know, we can grow a variety of things rather than just growing more of one thing, you know? Where, where did your, I guess, where, where did your passion and where and, and connection to, to, to animals and, and farming and, and this lifestyle, where, where does that come from, Arlie? Well, I grew up on a farm. My father was a cattle grain farmer and his father before him and his father before him. And I come from a long line of, of farming and and so I think when you grow up in that situation, it's pretty hard to just leave it all behind. I, I did try to leave it all behind. I did go to college and, and get, a, get a desk job and I tried that out for, I guess, about, well, not 10 years, but, you know, eight years or so. And, and I liked it, but I, I enjoy this more. I enjoy being outside. I enjoy working with animals and, and it's just, to me, more fulfilling. Did your dad and and his dad did they did they do this style of farming or was it more conventional? I mean, my father was a cattle farmer and he fed his cows grass, just you know, just the way that that I do. And so there's a a lot a lot of similarities. I mean, pulling a calf on a conventional farm is exactly the same as pulling a calf on a holistically managed farm. So there's a lot of things that you can learn, and and I think sometimes people, uh, you know, they they lose out when they forget that because you know some organic farmers they think they have nothing to learn from a conventional farmer and I think that's not true at all because there's a there's we have more similarities than dissimilarities and I think 
sometimes they get pitted against each other and I don't want to do that. I, uh, you know, I, I try to not point out all the bad things about a conventional farmer. I just try to say what we're doing and, and then if the customer, you know, there's, there's room in the market for everybody and if the customer wants cheap food, then they'll go, you know, but one way. And that, That's such a refreshing thing to hear because I think in today's age and there's there's so much debate on on both sides but there there's debate but at the same time the debate consists of like I'm right and you're wrong and then you just kind of get these two polar opposites and they just fight with one another but it mm-hmm. it sounds like you listen oh absolutely I I mean I don't have anything I I mean I don't want to say that there's nothing wrong with conventional farming but who am I to stand up on my soapbox and say that it's wrong I'm just doing what I'm doing and everybody's just doing the best they can right and everybody thinks that the thing they're doing is the right thing and so that's all we're doing and I don't want to say that what some farmer down the road is doing is not the right thing. One of the reasons why I I really admire you and why I I wanted to speak with you is that I I do love the fact that you are you're so passionate about educating people about not only the, the type of farming that you do but just our connection with with food and where our food comes from. Um, why, why, why are you so passionate about that? I guess I always took that for granted because I grew up on a farm and I always knew where my food was coming from. And then I don't know when it dawned on me, but I realized that there's a lot of people out there that don't have that and they just don't have a single clue where their food comes from. And to me, I think that's really sad. Like, I think that's such a basic human need and to not even know where that human need that you need every single day of your life three times a day is coming from I just think that's kind of heartbreaking <laughs> so when when you talk to people and, and they might not have any clue where their food comes from like how how do you begin that conversation well I just bring them out here and I just let them see for themselves and and then you know everybody's on a different uh part of the spectrum of how much they know or don't know and so I just let them ask the questions and there's no stupid question you know because <laughs> you gotta you gotta help people out and just meet them where they're at on their journey right yeah. and uh yeah I do a lot of school tours for kids I I really think that's important a lot of little kids nowadays don't have a, a farm connection anymore and I mean they might not think it's that terribly interesting at the time, but I bet you that they remember it and think back on it down the road. And at least they have some form of context to think about when they think about what is pork or what is lamb or what is beef. You know, I think if you have never been on a animal farm before, then you should you should at least go and visit one. Do yourself a favor and go visit one. When the kids come out here, what are, what are some of the... Like, you're smiling right now. What, what are some of the common questions or perhaps comments? A lot of them think it's stinky, which I find quite hilarious, to be honest, because like one thing Joel Salatin always says is he says that a good, a well-managed farm should be aesthetically and aromatically pleasing. And I, I think, sure, you can't, you can't have pigs and it not stink at all. But it does yeah. smell nice out here. Yeah. Exactly. Like if you were staying, if we were having this conversation outside of a hog barn right now, <laughs> we would have moved by now is what I'm trying to say. So, you know, and that is a direct result of, of the uh, density of the animals. Right. And so because these pigs are moved all the time, their excrement doesn't have an opportunity to build up to such a point where it's unbearable. 
and it's you know the sun is is allowing it to decompose and and the rain and everything and so you don't get that huge buildup of really really stinky farm situation happening but so I get a little chuckle when the kids say oh it's so stinky <laughs> I don't know but it's not. No, I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> Do they enjoy seeing the animals over here? Yeah, the pigs are a big hit for yeah. them. It seems like that's a fan favorite for the kids anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you too about Ola because you, you mentioned it a couple of times with with the restaurant. Um, and we interviewed Scotty uh, last season. And um, and Scotty's a, a, a wonderful guy. And, and I... One of the things I admire about Scotty, too, was that he was really big into sharing his knowledge with other people that were starting businesses and restaurants in the city. Um, what what are your, what was your thinking behind behind Old Law and getting into the restaurant business as an extension of Farm 140? So, I mean, part of it is that stacked enterprise thing, right? So, like I said, I didn't want to just grow more and more animals. I wanted to diversify what we were doing. And then I think just trying to bring that whole concept and idea to the city to the urbanites that don't necessarily have have the access to it because we do farm events here but I know that to a lot of people coming out to Vanskoy feels like the ends of the earth it feels like a big long drive it's only 15 minutes but to some people that seems far and so if I can bring some of that to the city in the form of you know just explanation on our social media pages, photos on the walls, description in the menu, you know, just little bits and pieces like that, and then open up that conversation. And I mean, maybe if they dine at Odla a whole bunch, maybe they'll get interested enough that they do want to come out for a for a farm tour, you know. I I think you would have made a really good teacher. I know you're an excellent <laughs> farmer, but I, I just, but I just see this passion for like for educating others. I just, I think that's really cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. It is definitely a passion too. Yeah. yeah. Um, is is this is this like you're gonna keep doing this for a while, right? Like as long as I don't burn out first. <laughs> <laughs> is it? A, but you know, and that's an that's an interesting point too, because um, you know, like I I have family that that are farmers, and and it's yeah, I, it's it's a really hard hard profession, and I think there's been a lot of good awareness in the last few years about like mental health struggles with it. Um, do, do you feel burnt out some days, Arlie? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like calving and lambing season is, it's tough. It's the most exhausting time of the year. But it's also the most exciting time because it's very, very rewarding even when there is a complication and then I can help out and I can get out a healthy lamb out of the whole situation. That's so rewarding that it all of a sudden you're not tired anymore. But uh, yeah, it's exhausting. And I mean... I'm mostly doing it by myself and and so yeah there's some days where I would rather be sitting at my air-conditioned desk and sipping my coffee but uh yeah we're we're looking at potentially hiring somebody if things keep going the way they're going because I mean I have two young kids and there's a little bit of a work-life balance that should be happening that's not exactly happening right now so yeah may, may I ask how how you how you cope on bad days or stressful days? I swear a lot. No, no, I don't actually. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's not that I cope. It's just that I guess I was raised in a way that you just keep doing, you just go to the next step. You just, yeah, it sucks, but what's the next step? And then you do that and then you do the next one and then you do the next one. 
I mean, my father was pretty resilient farmer and, you know, you can, you can choose to bitch and moan about it or, and have a big fit, or you can just do the next thing. And it's easier to just do the next thing. I, I really admire your passion and how hard you work. And I, I just love the fact that you put such an emphasis on, on the education and, and that you want to, and it's not, I don't think that you're, that you're preaching to people. It's just, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And, and yeah, you should, you know, have at least have an interest in it too. So I, I really admire what you're doing. Right. And, and for the record, like I, I really, really, really don't want to come off as preachy. That is not mm-hmm. at all my goal. And, and it's such a fine line. And I try to, I try to walk that fine line as carefully as I can, because like I said, I don't want to condone conventional farming. That's not my goal here. And I don't want to preach to people and tell them what they should eat. I just, without that education piece, how could a customer make an educated decision? So all I'm trying to do is just say, this is what we're doing and you make your decision. I, I don't want to say that ours is the right one. Thank you for having us out here for a second time. And um, can you just describe the sky right now? It is so cloudless. It's just a bluebird <laughs> sky. There is no storm coming. It's yeah. so vastly different from last time. Yeah. Yeah. Arlie, thank you so much for everything. And, um, and best of luck with the future of Farm 140. Thank you. Thanks for coming out, Eric. A big thank you to Arlie for welcoming Janelle and I out to her farm twice this summer and for introducing us to her animals and protecting us when a massive windstorm hit us. Arlie, you just, you just saved the day and you are amazing, so thank you. If you would like to learn more about Farm 140, visit farm140.ca. This has been episode one of season two of YXC Underground. I'm your host, Eric Anderson. I also produce and edit the podcast. Janelle Wallace is YXC Underground's incredible photographer. And if you would like to see some beautiful shots of Arlie and her animals, you can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search YXE Underground. My cousin Andrew Dixon is the musical mastermind of this podcast. And thanks to the crew at Old Love for letting me record my voice in their restaurant. Lacey, thank you. You're welcome. If you enjoy this podcast, and I hope you do, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. You can also stream episodes on Spotify and on the website, yxeunderground.com. And if you have time, please give the podcast a rating and a review. I really would appreciate it. And if you know of someone who is making a difference in Saskatoon, but is flying under the radar, please let me know. You can send me an email, ericandersonyxe at gmail.com. That's how I came to know Matt Ingruel, who's a member of the Saskatoon Police Force, and he's doing some really important work outside of his job description when it comes to drugs and addictions in Saskatoon, thanks to his podcast and website, Say No, K-N-O-W. I'm so excited for you to hear Matt's interview, which will come out next month on October 10th. Now, before I go, I would like to acknowledge that these interviews were conducted on Treaty 6 territory and the, and the traditional homeland of the Métis. YXE Underground is a production of the Salt Hammer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon.